0: National Review Institute is cruising to Alaska. Join NR writers and other thought leaders for a special vacation from June 16 to June 23 aboard Holland America's Nordam. If you're feeling especially adventurous, you can participate in an optional land tour before the cruise from
1: June 12 to June 15. Enjoy fine dining, entertainment, and world-class accommodations as you rub elbows with NR personalities and other special guests during panel discussions, breakout sessions, Exclusive 1955 Society events, and more. Make it a family trip! This year we've added youth programming for
0: your children and grandchildren. Destinations include Glacier Bay, Skagway, and Juneau.
1: To register, visit nricruise.com. That's nricruise.com. <laughs> What do we get right and wrong about the grid and how can we fix it? We'll discuss all this and more with guest Brad Vieter as part of a special sponsored series on energy. We'll be doing five of these episodes sprinkled throughout the next several weeks. Your regularly scheduled programming will return with our next episode. Our sponsor is ClearPath, an organization devoted to breakthrough energy technologies that you can find at clearpath.org. Brad Vieter, by the way, is the founder of Be Strategic, and you are, of course – listening to a National Review podcast.
2: Brad, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Rich. All
2: right. So situate yourself a little bit for our listeners. Who are you? How'd you get interested in this topic, get get into this area, and and what what's the organization?
0: Cool. Um, I spent about the last 11 years working for the trade group for all the investor and electric companies, uh, the Edison Electric Institute, and ran all of their external affairs state policy, which everything about electricity, all the money is made and investments are determined really at the state level. So what happens in state policy is, is pretty relevant. Um, I left, uh, EI at the beginning of the summer, started my own consulting firm. I guess I'm learning. I'm an energy expert now. I had no idea that that was the case as, uh, as we were sort of getting there. Uh, and I'm focused on kind of a couple of key issues, but one of them being, uh, making investments in the energy grid and ensuring that people have access to affordable reliable service.
2: All right. So we, we hear a lot about the grid, especially when stuff goes wrong with the grid. What, what is the grid?
0: Yeah, it's a complicated machine. It's a collection (laughs) of, I forget what the number is. It's like 36,000 machines all connected to one another across the U S it's actually a series of uh, of of grids that are really just interconnecting one locality to another uh, and it's a function of really how electricity is produced uh, as to why it's it's designed in this way when you like uh, originally we're building the energy grid you know back in the the, the days of edison and tesla um, what we were doing is we were going out into areas where people didn't live and we were putting up things like coal, pl- uh, coal plants or oil facilities, right? And we were producing power and then we were sort of delivering and ultimately transmitting and then delivering that power to where people lived. So, you know, the rural areas around New York or Washington, D.C. or, or Dallas were where the coal plants were. And then we built these big high voltage transmission lines to carry that power across like broad expanses. Then once we got into cities, we built out a distribution system where we would bring that voltage down, lower the voltage and bring it into every home kind of across the country. And that was just historically how the system was developed. And then, you know, technology kind of came in, people started to live differently and so we started to um, kind of repurpose that uh, energy grid. And it's created some opportunities. It's also created some pretty real challenges.
2: Um, so it, it, so I'm, I'm sitting here in my house, and my laptop is plugged in. It's actually not plugged in. I shouldn't say that. I'm always truthful with our, our listeners, Brad. But my phone is plugged in. So there's some power plant in the vicinity here, and I'm connected to that power plant. But is, is that power plant connected to other local localities and then those other localities are connected to other power plants and then that's it's more or less how it works. Good. If you're getting power right now, there's a
0: turbine spinning somewhere. Like mm-hmm. it is a real time sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so um that that's something to like I, I think it's worth appreciating. Like if your light like, mm-hmm. switch switch works, it's because there's power that's being produced right now. It is one of the very mm-hmm. few sort of like real-time assets that, um, that we deal with. That's right. Like there's a power plant it will be allocated more or less to a particular locality. Uh, there'll be a couple lines that might come out of that power plant and sort of transmit that power, um, to various places, wherever the, wherever the need is physics takes over a little bit and sort of demand on one end sort of forces the electrons, uh, through that transmission pipeline.
2: So do they roughly need to know how much electricity I'm going to be using and everyone in town is going to be using because they can't do too much and they can't do too little? Yeah. I mean, it's super important
0: to be able to uh, predict what demand is going to be because you need to ensure that you have power supply available uh, to meet okay. that. And there are like a couple really good examples of like, what happens when it doesn't match? I think the best example uh, in recent years is that um, disaster in Texas in February of 2021 after winter storm. And that's because
2: everyone needed more than they had? Yep. Because it got colder and so everyone's turning on the heat and it over, overwhelms the system. And then, then what happens? Just stuff fry out or there's just not enough en- electricity to go around? There's not enough supply, so they have to actually like – at the bulk power level at the like sort of system
0: management level, they have to cut customers off. So the whole thing doesn't explode more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, if it's not, if it doesn't match everything fries kind of as you were saying, right? Mm -hmm. So what the grid operators do in that instance, it's called a load shedding event. They kind of go out and they're like, all right, well, you're not going to have power. So sorry, dude, like uh, go about your day figure out something else uh, to Mm -hmm. do with your day. And that is to keep the entirety of the system um, operational. And that's like really bad news. And we're having more and more of those load shedding events in, in two jurisdictions in particular in California and in Texas, like those two places are, you know, kind of smoldering dumpster fires for different reasons. And then
2: well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, that let's, let's go first California. Cause we love talking about California's problems, Texas problems, not, not, not so much, but we'll talk about both, but what California a month or two ago, you know, there, there's stories about, to, uh, you know, try not to use electricity from five to eight, you know, when the sun's going down. So we don't have so much solar, but apparently it's a kind of a peak time for people using electricity. Don't plug it in your electric car, et cetera, et cetera. So what, What's going on there and what what are the issues with with their grid?
0: Yeah, so I'll start kind of at a high level of the sort of like California – the the biggest California symptom as I see it. And this will make sense to a lot of your listeners. You know, California is not a place that likes to eat broccoli. Um, They are interested in investing in what's next. They are interested in sort of figuring out how they're going to – revolutionize everything. And so resources flow to the next kind of whiz bang thing. Right. Um, And there are other sort of like public policies that are kind of layered on top of the management of their energy grid that just make it hard. Like you can't use coal in California. You can't build new gas plants in California. You're retired to enormous nuclear facilities in California because the public uh, or politicians interpreted the public's opinions to mean, Hey, we just need a bunch of renewables. Right. So you essentially pushed the, a lot of the dispatchable resources off the system. And um, that posed sort of some, some very real kind of operational problems on top of that. And what I think is actually, the thing that connects California and Texas and New England is um, you do you remember those, that little sleepy little company out of Houston, Enron, you remember those guys? That, I don't know. I do. That, I I do. Don't know yeah, Smartest guys in the room. Smartest guys in the room. So the smartest guys in the room, and this is also what's kind of happened over in the UK. Um, they decided to build um, to, to restructure electricity markets and build all these, restructured electricity markets where they separated the ownership of generation distribution and transmission. And and the Enron guys wanted to be these big competitive generators that were going to go out and buy all the power plants and save money for everybody. Right. Well, when they did that, they created all these incentives where people don't invest in generation. So the generation system gets really old and decrepit and there's not enough power To meet peak demand, there's just enough power to meet regular demand. And like, that's fine 360 days a year. But when the weather goes haywire and you don't have enough resources online to meet peak demand, you get blackouts. And like, we live in a world where like blackouts are unacceptable. Like, we rely on it for our phones, for our MacBook. We're Zooming now, right, because of the availability of this resource. If you're not ready for the worst day, then everybody's going to be pretty pissed, and your system is going to look a heck of a lot more like, you know, Pakistan than it does mm-hmm. uh, the United States. And that, that, that's kind of like a fundamental problem, I think, in, in California. And, and how about Texas? Texas? Yeah, it's kind of the same, right? Like the Texas problem, and I can say this as a Texan, um, who frankly, I moved into electricity and energy because I thought it was my path to move back home to Texas in about a year in. I was like, oh my gosh, Texas is a smoldering dumpster fire. I can't (laughs) do that. The, The Texas problem is all about like cost, right? And Texas wants to be competitive. They want to pull all these companies out of California and they're going to do it because their energy costs are lower, right? But Texas just doesn't invest and it doesn't eat its broccoli. It wants to cut costs at all costs. And so you have a system with razor thin margins. So if energy demand increases at all, your system's kind of smoked. And you've got to do Mm -hmm. rotating outages. So while there are different policy drivers that led California and Texas to get to where they are, uh, it's kind of the same problem. Like there's not enough generation to meet the need. And, And the last thing i would say about Texas is it's like, it's like the most Texas thing possible. Texas is like all about veneers, right? Like fake hair and, fake other things is kind of the Texas way. And so you have a system that looks good, but doesn't hold up. Like it's no surprise that there's a $250,000, like, you know, 6,000 square foot house because it doesn't have any insulation and it uses inferior building products. Like that is kind of the Texas way, the home of the $30,000 millionaire. Right. And it's energy grid and the investment in the energy grid are similar. So who does it right? You know, to be honest, it's a little bit surprising to to think about it this way, but they do a really good yeah, job. Say them. Vermont, are you? I'm not. No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> Vermont's pretty. Vermont's pretty bad. It's not as bad as the rest of New England, but it's pretty bad. Um, uh, the southeast, southeast does a pretty good job. So does the um, so does the southwest. And the thing that they do in the southeast and then also in the southwest is they make um, they make significant infrastructure investments, but because they're sort of the traditional model of electric delivery and electric distribution, they plan it out for like 30 years, right? And so they're like, all right, I'm going to make these investments and I'm going to do them year over year. And as a result, costs are spreading pretty evenly and consistently across customers. Uh, and there's not a ton of volatility in that investment, right? Like the only volatility they have to deal with is you know fuel costs um so they do a pretty good job there you see outages that are you know the outage numbers are way better in those regions of the country parts of the uh, upper midwest as well actually do a pretty good job
2: so um what do we need to be doing in in general to upgrade the grid and have the kind of grid that we we want and need for the future Yep, we need to do a couple of uh, we need to do a couple of things.
0: Like it, the the challenge right now is there are a bunch of rising costs, and there are in particular a bunch of rising costs around natural gas. Right, like I think we're seeing it. There's you know clearly a war in Ukraine, and even though natural gas isn't a um it's it's not traded on an international market, it's traded locally. We're still seeing like some significant price increases. The price of natural gas is up three and a half to four times what it was 18 months ago. And so that like flows through and impacts customers. And so I think one of the challenges that you're going to see is that like, as people's energy bills go up, there's going to be less and less interest in actually making investments into the system. But investments in the system (laughs) are exactly what we need to be doing, right? Like we need to be sort of improving and upgrading in particular, the distribution systems. Uh, and then we need to be building more transmission systems. So like there are a lot of movements in a lot of parts of the country to either underground infrastructure or upgrade infrastructure in cities. Like we need to do that. You know, one of the challenges that we see in, in places like new England is that, um, you know, you, you have this distribution system and you have a bunch of trees, but you have policymakers that won't cut down trees and they won't trim branches. Right. And so what does that mean? That means that those untrimmed branches hit power lines and the power goes out. Right. So you need like, you need like policymakers to make, to draw reasonable conclusions, which is like, Hey man, I know if these trees hit the power lines, the power goes out and my people get pissed off. So I should probably do something about the trees, or I should do something about the power lines, right? Like let's either put those power lines underground. If we really care about those trees and invest a little bit more money, or let's do the rational thing and trim that maple. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think there's like a lot of things that can and should be done at the local level uh, that are kind of just common sense, right? Like if we care about this resource uh, or we care about this infrastructure, let's take care of it. And I think sort of regular maintenance is, is one of the big things that, um, we need to be th- that we need to be thinking about. And then, you know, kind of just investing and in upgrading the system. We've got this, like, and I, I think love it or hate it. We've got this electric revolution that's coming, right? Like
2: this is the solar and wind and all that stuff. Well, solar and wind, but also like electric cars and like everything, right? Like right. Oh, 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 about you mean electric- more things being electric. Yeah. 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 We're talking
0: about electrifying everything. And mm-hmm. I know that, you know, some of us on the conservative side of the ledger are skeptical of the electrification of everything, but I don't think there's really anyone who will deny the fact
2: that we're about to have a lot more electric demand. Right. So what, what besides, what besides cars is a, an example of yeah, other yes. things that be electrified? Like? Yes. Yeah, so like
0: I've been in discussions about electrifying seaports, electrifying airports. Um, changing the operation of like sort of, you know, diesel generators at manufacturing facilities, right? Like if all that stuff moves to electricity, if we're talking about uh, electrifying, you know, trains, if we're talking about electrifying, uh, you know, heavy vehicles, that's a boatload of demand that's coming our way. Right. And I think.
2: So so that just means, sorry, sorry, Brad. So that just means they won't be running on, you know, petroleum or diesel anymore? They'll, they'll be electric.
0: Yeah, that's the idea, right?
2: Like we. So, we were, so, so less fuel, less fossil fuel, more electricity. Although, I mean, some of that's. You know, I get the electricity
0: is a yeah, but like that that seems to be the sort of like the policy a policy decision's been made that like look electricity is um, a pretty great resource and sort of like emissions can be controlled at a bulk level in the way that they aren't controlled, um, with petroleum, right. Uh, with petroleum production. So you should be like, Hey man, I'm just going to put a bunch of demands on what like output from electric generation should look like. And if that becomes the feedstock for cars, if that becomes the feedstock, uh, you know, for these other sort of industrial, um, uh, implementations, I guess it, um, I don't know, it, it, it's a way to make a pretty significant impact. So I think whatever you think about that policy push, I think it's pretty hard to escape the fact that like more things are going to be electrified and there's going to be mm-hmm. more of a reliance upon electricity. So if we're going to do that, we probably should invest in this electric system that is going to enable all that stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't know that enough places around the country are eating their broccoli and sort of like making those investments that aren't the sexy investments.
2: Mm-hmm. So let's just go back a second on, on stuff. Uh, is, are are there advantages to that besides just avoiding the predictable outages when, when the wind blows and, and it rains or snows and trees fall on the lines? Yeah. I mean, the other one is aesthetics. Like we see a lot of buried power lines and
0: like, very affluent uh, mm-hmm. neighborhoods, right? Like you don't see those suckers overhead on uh, on Palm Beach. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think there's some aesthetic advantage to it. Um, you don't really deal with weather, but there's also some downside. Like you'll, you may recall a few years ago, was it like four or five years ago when we had a storm, storm surge and some pretty massive flooding in New York City uh, where the oh, power yeah. lines are undergrounded. The problem that you ended up that ended up occurring there is that, all right, so now we flooded out a power system that's underground. And so if we had just hung those Mm -hmm. suckers up on trees, we could have rewired and rebuilt the thing in like a day. Now we've got to wait for water to recede. And Mm -hmm. then we've got to go in and work with infrastructure that's essentially underwater. So it took longer. Like the power, if it's undergrounded, the power goes out less often because there aren't big weather events but when it does go out, it takes a, it. It takes us longer to rebuild things, right? Because mm-hmm. we've got to be subterranean to do it.
2: And, and what's is the power going out? You know, it 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 happens wherever I've lived. Um, Besides New York City, really, it, it's it's happened. I remember when I was a kid, you know, there'd be a thunderstorm in Virginia, and we'd have our candles, you know, in 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 the house. But are, are there serious economic costs to to every outage, or is it just the sh- the sheer inconvenience that you are oh, whatever period cost. of time plunging people back into medieval existence? Totally huge costs. I mean, like it electricity is the feedstock of our lives.
0: Like, Mm. you know, think about that for a minute, right? Like if you don't have electricity, like, what are you doing? You're sitting at home with candles. You're hoping that, uh, you know, you're going outside and like cooking all your meals on a barbecue. Like, I mean, it's cool for like a minute, but uh, (laughs) your phone dies and you can't see updates on, you know, whatever Instagram or TikTok, and, uh, kids are on fire. Right. Like it's, um, it's more than an inconvenience and like, you know, production stops. Like you don't, you don't necessarily think about the fact that, okay, so I'm from the Gulf coast of Texas. I'm from like, you know, the refinery refining alley. And like down there, you know, all the oil that's produced and sort of utilized in the U S is, is produced in that region of the country. When the power goes out, the refineries don't work. Like Mm -hmm. they are dependent upon this thing, uh, upon this electricity to produce gasoline, right? Like it's the feedstock for everything. If the power goes out, what are the traders on wall street doing? Like, how does that mm-hmm. stuff work? Mm-hmm. How do financial systems work? If all that's out, how does, you know, Amazon web service or Google cloud, that stuff doesn't work if their power's out. Right. So that I kind know. of the costs are enormous and everything's super interdependent. And so, you know, I don't know. To me, it's like a, It's like at the bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like, let's go in and ensure this stuff works. And then because this stuff works, we can sort of do other things on top of it.
2: Yeah. So speaking of New York City, I think it was Sandy, but there were just these really spectacular, um, you know, videos of Transformers blowing up, you know, these blue... Uh, blue explosions it was that was that just inundation by water or were they being overwhelmed in some other way do you I know don't, i don't actually
0: know i don't know uh i'd be interested to figure it out i don't know what was exactly causing the ex- explosion i mean the water could be interesting water could be a cost but i'm not i'm not
2: sure i'll dig in i'll let you know Okay. So, uh, on, on broccoli. So before I interrupted, you and went back to the underground, uh, uh, burying the wires, you, you were saying, you know, we, we need to do kind of more eating our broccoli kind of things. So, so that's just, that's sort of infrastructure upgrades that would not be strictly necessary right now. You know, you're, you're, you're still m- going to get power you know, most of the time, but that are, are necessary to, to get in a better place and be prepared for the future. Yeah. I mean, like great example. I think
0: a lot of people are, familiar with that enormous wildfire out in California, the campfire and mm-hmm. just that, like the devastation that you saw at the campfire. Right. And as they were sort of rolling through litigation, kind of figuring out what happened, they're like, Oh yeah, this little hook that was a hundred years old that held up the transmission line broke. Cause it was a hundred years old and it's useful life is 40 years. So like, there's a lot of stuff on the energy grid, this sort of like really complicated system Uh, or a connection of systems that was built a hundred years ago that like, you know, things just need to be upgraded. It's like the plumbing in your house, right? Like if you live in the Northeast, your plumbing's old man. And so like you got to go in every now and again and you get a leak and you got to replace that old lead pipe with PVC. The same types of things need to be done on the energy grid to give it another, 30, 40, 50 years of life. And don't just throw your money at the next whiz bank thing, right? Like as you're making energy grid investments, don't just think about, you know, energy storage or renewables or hydrogen, a bunch of things that have a lot of promise and are probably necessary, but they probably shouldn't be done at the expense of, uh, these kind of like more basic infrastructure investments.
2: And and are we talking about infrastructure investments at the local level, state level, federal level, all the above? It's more local and state level than anything else.
0: Like the role that the federal government will play is creating a bunch of grants and tax credits. Um, you saw this in the last bill. The, uh, I mean, can we talk for a minute about the Inflation Reduction Act as a name? Yeah. Right. But, um, so maybe we'll maybe we'll save that for another time. But like there were a bunch of grants for grid resilience that exist in that bill. And so that's cool. Great. Like, um, but most of the, most of those investments are made at the state level and most of those investments are approved by the public service commission. But now there are some big grants for some specific things. So as opposed to all that money having to be laid out, uh, on your electric bill, there's opportunity for electric companies and others to kind of apply for some of those grants to offset some costs. Like that's not all bad. Um, to sort of be able to utilize some common dollars to invest in grid infrastructure, and I think that'll that'll be an important thing to watch going forward.
2: So, is there any um, <clears throat> is there any ideological valence to policy decisions about the grid? You know, conservatives have, tend to have one view, and progressives another. Or is it more of a kind of Meat and potatoes, practical issue, and the the contention more is, is over just you know how how much we're going to spend.
0: Yeah, I mean, yes, there is some variety um, between the liberal point of view and the conservative point of view. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be very um, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm I'm gonna generalize a lot here, but here's more or less how it goes. Um, Liberals are like, yeah, whatever, let's just replace all fossil fuels with renewables and let's invest in the next thing because, you know, the climate risk is real and this is our opportunity to kind of change everything. This is what we need to do, right? Like, let's just go do that and let's kind of abandon other things. Conservatives are like, renewables never work. We don't need renewables. Like, that's a bunch of hogwash. Like, let's just figure out how we're going to run these coal plants full bore. So, like, those are sort of, like, the differing point of views and the place from which Mm -hmm. we begin. And they're both, like, pretty flawed. Like, renewables are pretty cost competitive and are a great resource when the wind's blowing and the sun's shining. I mean, they have zero fuel costs, right? So, like, from an economic perspective, it's awesome that you don't have to – spend any dollars on fuel and they're also like relatively cheap to build. Right. So like those things have a place and I think there, there are more conservatives that are kind of picking up that mantle at this point. And I think that's important. And I hope that like those conservatives are able to move the broader conservative movement into a place that sort of appreciates that like everything should exist in a portfolio. Right. Um, so that's kind of the thing on the conservative side on the, Progressive side, I think, you know, you're you're beginning to see it and like environmental NGOs sort of make this a little bit um, hard, but like, you know, you need to be able to call on a resource to turn on when you need it to turn on. And like, you can't do that with just renewables. Like you could do it if you were pairing some renewables and storage, but like the Best storage we've got right now is like four hours of storage. And that's not sufficient to get through that uh, piece we were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier, the sort of four to nine in the summertime period. So, like, I say all that to say that that's kind of the perspective, but all that stuff's about generation. Nobody thinks about the transmission or the distribution of power. All they think about is either I'm a coal guy, a gas guy, a nuke guy. A solar guy or a wind guy or gal, right? And like that's a problem because, you know, like 70% of the electric system is wires and nobody's talking about that. Mm -hmm. Like people care about wires when it's going to like come through their property, right? If it's going to divide your farmland, people are like, oh, we don't need that. You know, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't need takings or whatever to, solve for this electric system but as a practical matter like that's kind of exactly what we need we need Mm -hmm. more and more of those big transmission lines to bring power to where people are
2: so do the do the wires change depending on what your mix of generation is Are, are your wires different if you're predominantly coal as opposed to wind or solar rich no it's a good it's a good question like do we need different wires
0: because of different resources and like The answer is, like, we don't need different wires, but we do need sort of more wires. And the reason for that is that, like, wind resources and solar resources are going to be, are probably going to be in different places than where the old coal plants were, right? And so you're going to need to build more transmission to connect new development that that's kind of the thing. Like we need more because new stuff is getting built all the time and it's not all getting built on old sites. Right. So you've got to build transmission systems to sort of like solve for that problem. The other thing too, is that like, particularly with wind energy, wind is not, um, The best wind isn't where the people live, right? Like it's in rural areas. There's a ton of great wind that's offshore. That's a big discussion right now about like offshore wind. Um, But that's like super far from where people live. And so if we're going to go out and we're going to put up all those turbines, we've got to build transmission from where that wind is to where people actually are. You got to get into the, suburbs of Chicago or into Denver or whatever, right.
2: From, from
0: where that wind is. And so that's going to require more wire investment.
2: So how about the issue, by the way, of security? You know, you hear discussion about, you know, uh, malign actors hacking into our, our, our grid. How much a worry is, is that kind of threat? Look, I think that's, that threat's real. I mean, you know, when you're,
0: When your counterparty is like, when your counterparties are the Russians and the Chinese, and they could sort of like impact and embed and influence the flow of electricity, like that threats that threat's pretty real, right? Um, I think the solution to that is actually redundancy. I think it's it's about having more outs and having like a system that is built to meet even greater demand than today, right? Because in that in that sort of environment, like if a section of your power grid goes down, you have something you can replace it with and you've sort of built more roadways and pathways to generate electricity. Like you can't have single points of failure. And so I think that's what a lot of the grid folks are working on is like, okay, if I lose this whole segment of the system, how do I keep things operating? And it's, it's about avoiding single points of failure. And it gets back a little bit to the thing I was talking about before with the like restructure to do like deregulated electric systems versus the like traditional electric systems. Um, in the restructured systems, you've got a bunch of middlemen that are operating and you frankly just have more owners of assets. Mm-hmm. Heck of a lot harder to control a system that has a bunch of owners as opposed to a system that has like a larger single owner. Um, so there, there are some other factors that are there, right? Like it's like, you know, you run a small business. What are you worried about in terms of cyber ri- cyber risk, somebody taking their laptop home and opening an email, right? If you were sort of like controlling everything at the bulk server level you'd be less concerned about some of these threats. And I think you sort of have similar challenges in um, in the electric system as well.
2: So to conclude here, paint for us your most pessimistic scenario for what would happen with our grid and the most optimistic scenario if, if we do everything from your point of view, the the, the right way here.
0: Yeah, I think... The pessimistic scenario is that the our what happens in our country um, is entirely determined by where we live. And I think you will continue to see poor policy decisions in New England, in Texas, in California, in those grids, sort of increase demand, don't increase supply. We see more collapse and almost like just What we have now, but an accelerated hellscape version of it where essentially like the power systems just don't work there because they're built or they're designed. These sort of markets are designed in such a way as to not reinvest in the system and not solve for future problems. Um, I have less of that concern in those parts of the country that I said do it well, like the southeast, southwest parts of the upper midwest. But there is a push right now uh, by a bunch of the guys that sort of like benefit from the power system in Texas that are trying to bring Texas style energy policy to other states. So I guess there's another worst case scenario where, you know, those charlatans are able to convince the people that are doing a good job and making good investments that the Texas way is better. So I I get a little worried about that. I think you could probably say the California way, too. So that that's like a worst case scenario and then we've got an incredibly divided um, country uh, when it comes to like you know access to, to electricity. That's probably the worst case scenario. I think the best case scenario is that we're able to sort of take a portfolio approach to everything. We're able to first, understand that we need to invest in the sort of the basics. We need to eat our broccoli and we need to upgrade transmission. We need to upgrade, um, uh, uh, you know, just the entirety of the distribution system. We need to underground in particular places. We need to continue to invest in things like natural gas. We need to invest in things like nuclear power, but renewables shouldn't be forgotten, right? It's sort of like, taking a holistic portfolio approach to these investments is what's going to be necessary. And that's like a really hard thing to do in this sort of like quasi market that the Enron guys created. And I get worried that um, I, I, I get a little bit worried that like the fake market that the Enron guys created is something that conservatives are going to glam onto because it says market in the name. And that's like, not really what it is. Right. And so, um, it's just, it's not a, it's not a market at all for the, for the big reason. Maybe I'll ask this question. You're, you know, smart dude, understands economics. Do you know what a replace, like what's a replacement good for electricity? I'm curious. Do you have a thought?
2: A a replacement good in the sense of something that would, give us the same benefit? Yeah. I I would say nothing. Candle, maybe. And so like, (laughs) I guess so.
0: (laughs) So I worry about like this whole idea of creating a commoditization and like a market where you're, you know, essentially saying it's a commodity, right? Like if the price of corn is up, I can eat beans. Like if, you know, if the price of ethanol is up, I can use gasoline. Right. Um, I worry about, the whole concept that we use to design that the Enron guys used to design these markets. And I think that frankly, it's just not a market because there's not a replacement commodity. Right. And so I get, I get concerned that that sort of idea that made sense to a bunch of like Harvard economists, like 30 years ago, um, is fundamentally flawed. And like, really what we need is a little bit more planning, like, we need stakeholders to come together and be like, all right, cool. What's the system we want? Let's go build that. We don't need mm-hmm. other like externalities kind of getting in the way of us, you know, eating our broccoli and building the system that we
1: uh,
2: that we need. Awesome. Brad, well, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for your time.
1: So that's it for us. You've been listening to a special sponsored edition of the editors, courtesy of ClearPath, an organization devoted to breakthrough energy technologies that you can find at ClearPath, Dot org Again, our regularly scheduled programming returns next episode. And, of course, any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this game without the express written permission of National Magazine is strictly prohibited. This podcast has been produced by the incomparable Sarah Schutte, who makes us sound better than we deserve. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We're the editors. We'll see you next time.